0: listening to the journey home
1: podcast Welcome to the Journey Home podcast This is Matthew Starrett I'm a psychotherapist and musician based in Surrey UK The premise for the Journey Home is to offer space for conversation with those sharing a lived experience of addiction mental health and a multitude of topics that resonate with the guest The aim is to promote awareness of the dialogue content and serve as a pathway to therapeutic services My guest today is Dee Johnson a psychotherapist, trainer and supervisor who is passionate about mental fitness and all things environmentally kind. Dee currently works as a senior addiction therapist at the Priory Hospital Chelmsford and runs Mind Soup Counselling, which you can find on Instagram. I'll include the handle in the episode description. Dee's work first caught my attention earlier this year when I came across an article she'd written on exercise addiction. It really resonated with my own story, and after I'd read it, I was left reflecting on how much pain I was in, and how, in exercise, I was able to find a place where I could briefly feel okay as I was. Now, as with all addictions, the problem was I could never do just a bit, or the equivalent to having one in exercise, and it soon became a compulsion with its own consequences. I was lifting weights a teenager should never be lifting and pushing myself to pretty dangerous limits. So often we hear about alcohol and substance addiction, but in recent years there has been much more awareness on what are referred to as process addictions. Exercise, sex, shopping, internet use and more. Now the substance and or behavior addiction is extremely important in an individual's recovery journey, but for me it's so often covering up much deeper stuff. Freud's iceberg model comes to mind. If you haven't come across this, check it out. Imagine the addiction is at the tip of the iceberg, but that underneath the water is someone's unconscious thoughts, feelings, all that kind of stuff. Often one has to stop the addictive process to then be able to address what has in fact been driving it. Dee spoke with such wisdom about these kind of addictions, and I sensed her passion for wanting to clear up any perceived misunderstandings people may have about addiction. I really valued speaking with her and finding in Dee another person who is passionate about dispelling myths and raising awareness around recovery from addiction. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm here with Dee Johnson. Dee, so good to have you here.
0: Good morning. Thank you for having me here. We've been looking forward to this.
1: Yeah, it's great to finally meet you. And uh, how have things been for you of late?
0: (laughs) Um, Busy because when you work in the world of mental health, it's there's always something happening, something going on. Um, you know, it's that's what the joy of this job is. Things are ever evolving. And I think the fact that people now more naturally and more confidently reach out for help, I think years ago, I've been doing this for about 20 years, you kind of saw seasonal sways coming in, but I don't see that anymore. And I think that's actually really positive. But people know they can reach out and they don't have to be on their own. And even when the sun is shining, sometimes we see a little bit of a dip and (laughs) miraculously the sun is shining at the moment. Don't want to Mm. jinx it. But actually for some people that doesn't make them feel better, that actually makes them feel worse and more Mm. lonely or isolated. So it's good to be busy in the fact that not that necessarily more people are struggling. I think it's great that we can now have open conversations about seeking help about our mental health because at the end of the day it is an organ like any other organ in the body the brain it goes wonky it goes wrong we need help with it and I love the fact that a lot of my clients and patients are really open and honest to their friends yeah I've been Mm. in rehab yeah I go and see my therapist so yeah it's good all good
1: oh great to hear and it's it's always great to hear from other people that that's what they're noticing, you know, this sense that actually there doesn't have to be shame around it. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. And actually, I think what you just said so resonates, and I feel is so important. Which is, it's just an organ. It's it's part of our whole condition. If our foot was broken, we may not have shame around it in the same way that perhaps if we needed help with mental health. And what do you think has facilitated that move to people feeling they can can reach out more? And also, what more could be done? around those kind of the secrecy and perhaps the shame associated with with mental health and addiction
0: yeah big big question mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know how long we've got <laughs> a whole series to cover that one i think there's a multitude of things that it's become more prevalent in our society i, I think through when we go through an economic crisis, it, it seems to highlight this issue more. For us, it's always been around. It's just been more hidden. Mm. I think there's something very positive. You know, people like you doing podcasts, speaking openly about it. And I have mm. to be really grateful to people in the public eye that now come forward about it from professional athletes, because you've got to have that addictive, obsessive behavior to be as elite as you are, sure. a athlete, whatever it is. you know any person in the public eye now that speaks so candidly and courageously and congruently about their journey is really supportive because you're looking at someone who seems to have had it all and really successful and then when you you listen to them and they've stripped away that facade and said yeah but I've had trauma I've had fear Mm -hmm. I've had insecurity I self-destruct I blow myself up you think oh okay so they've got their demons too and we look at whether there's a thing as a functioning addict or not, you, you still might be going. You're just not firing on all cylinders, even though you kid yourself, you think you are. Mm. But I think the science behind addiction is becoming more acceptable. You know, it, there's mm. amazing research into what's actually happening to the brain. The neuroplasticity, the, the brain's processes are changing, hormonal imbalances, genetic dispositions, how environments affect our brains growing up. And that, again, we go back to it's an organ, It goes wonky. If it's not fed and nurtured in the right way growing up, as any other organ, it's going to malfunction and misfire. Funny, I was speaking to a patient about this the other day, and they were really full of shame and fear about telling people. And I said, But I think some countries were slightly ahead of us for a while. But if you just watch, I don't know, a soap opera or a cop show or an intense film, it's really common now to have a character that chucks in, I'm in recovery. I need to go and see my sponsor. I've just got to go into a fellowship meeting. And yeah. it's become such a natural part of script writing in dramas as well. That's so helpful. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a multitude of things, but as you said, we've got a long way to go.
1: And well, something in you were saying, what what came up for me was this, I was just realising the power of honesty and vulnerability and actually something that without speaking without being honest and vulnerable, there can be shame and fear. So it can't be spoken about, but actually the power of when somebody actually goes, I'm going to lay myself bare," there's nowhere else to go. And it can actually sometimes be pretty freeing because all those things that are firing in the brain, I don't know if you have this, but a sense mm-hmm. of, oh, I can just meet you on a person to person level. And perhaps those people who are coming forward, who maybe those people you're talking about in the public eye or any figures who maybe had to survive and protect themselves. It maybe wasn't safe to say, hey, I'm struggling with this stuff. When they found, you know, the courage that they they show and the vulnerability, it's so freeing and it allows other people to almost come out. So it's this kind of by default, I guess that's the kind of recovery thing in some ways, which is I'm going to give this to you. And then, oh, I feel I can now pass it on. And it's just this almost domino, positive domino effect in a way. I think of dominoes for some reason, but.
0: And I think that's it. You said the word freedom, but it, you know, addiction is all about living in fear, isn't it? It's Mm. fear of feeling, fear of being in reality, fear of not coping, fear of people finding out, fear of yourself. It goes on and on and on. Mm-mm. And I think some people don't understand because you get used to living in that level of absolute fear every day. It becomes normal. Yeah. You, you and I will have spoken to people and they've gone, I'm not fearful. And when you strip it down, they go, oh my God, I don't yes. know how long I've lived like this for. But that empowerment to say, yeah, so I've got disordered thinking and and it took me down this path. You take your power back, the powerlessness, the unmanageability. That frightening place to be when you think I'm an intelligent person. I've got everything Mm. going for me, everything to live for. And yet I keep pulling the pin out the grenade. Why? And I think especially some people in the public eye, when they have that courage to come forward, as you said, it gives us the domino effect. But they've taken control of that dark, scary place of their life. You can pull out whatever horror story you like about me. Sorry, owned it, been there, put it out there, acknowledged it.
1: And there's there's something around, I'm aware I'm bringing in someone kind of from the theoretical past, but it just came up when you said about the dark side, the, the Carl Jung shadow thing came to mind because in a way, it's a bit like I just kind of s- suddenly thought, what if there were no rules? And when there aren't rules, it can be incredibly scary, almost like the, you know, that really raw place where actually that you touched on this just now I, with the, uh, comfortable in the uncomfortable because it's just known. It had to be known. We had to do it to survive perhaps. And it was just, you spoke about neuroplasticity, perhaps from a very, very young age, and I'm sure we'll get to trauma, but just the the kind of associated behaviors just to survive it. So it is really scary, but there's something very freeing around actually, well, what if we all had our own version of something that mm-hmm. felt a bit dark, but actually, if there wasn't anything bad about it, it was just part of the complexity of being human and we could talk about it it feels quite freeing even as i say that now and i I feel like i've said that many times but it always feels like a breath of fresh air when i when i almost allow myself to say that it still feels pretty empowering to say
0: there's no shame in fear Mm. and yet it's those messages we're taught growing up be brave be strong there 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 don't cry don't show your fear because you show your weakness but fear doesn't have to mean that someone else or something else is going to take control of me. Fear can energize us it can power us up as well. Again, you know as as addiction professionals we would have had that conversation with people when they're learning about recovery and maybe they're so unwell they've had to come outside of the outside world and go into a rehab if they've been fortunate enough to have that opportunity
2: mm-hmm.
0: and when they're leaving, they often don't get what we would call that gate happy experience, <laughs> desperate to get out. Actually, the fear comes over them. And it's yeah. like, okay, fear is also an instinctual response, a natural primeval emotion that keeps us safe. It's a safety checker as well. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean being fearful you're going to be crushed and consumed, gobbled up by these dark shadows. It's also a bit of a, hang on, what do I need to look out for? It's, yeah. it, it's finding what's your healthy fear that stops you being complacent and what's the fear that smashes and erodes you into pieces and takes away your self-worth? But in that one, there is the shame, fear of judgment, shame awesome. of self. And I think in recovery, we have to look at what are my healthy fears, because we've been so consumed by the devastating
1: fears. Yeah. And I wanted to I wanted to catch a part of what you said there and perhaps you can come back to it. It's- shame around addiction but also where we are now and through evolution but certainly we're in a much better place but also I'm aware there are things that are being seen that maybe weren't in the past you know we have access to so much more now on these complexities and where I first learned about you was reading an amazing article that that you had been a part of around exercise addiction and it just really it really stood out to me because sort of twofold because it resonated for me on a personal level, because I remember that in my own story, like, well, this is okay. That's not okay, but this is okay. But it did the same thing. And it was something, you know, it's something I, maybe we can go there now. There doesn't have to be a a rule for where we go where, but it's this thing. I wonder if you could explain or talk a bit about the complexity of addiction and how for some, it may be alcohol, for some, it may be drugs, but for some, it may be the internet, for some, it may be exercise, but they're almost what I recognize in anyone listening to this, who's kind of perhaps consciously or subconsciously thinking, okay, these addictions are, that's not okay. And we don't want to do that because it's destructive, but hang on. I use my phone every day i go to the gym i'm a relational being i want to be in relationship i need food to survive but they may be struggling with it i wonder if you could talk a bit about that and and your experience with working with the complexities of addiction that may not be specifically substances or say gambling
0: yeah i think that that that's such an important thing for us to look at because we do stereotype we talk about addiction and people will say Alcohol, well, alcohol is a drug, alcohol, recreation, drugs, gambling, the normal go-to. But mm. actually addiction, substance use disorder, is mm. a behaviour, is disordered behaviour. Yes. And it's a behaviour that becomes imbalanced, that overrides everything that should be done in your life to the point that without it you feel you cannot function, fearful, it becomes something that becomes your primary driver and i always talk about addiction as something that has become harmful that you will continue to do in spite and despite the consequences addiction is all a behavioral disorder you know when you look at the clinical criteria addiction substance use disorder doesn't come under gray's anatomy with all the physical stuff it comes mm-hmm. under the mental health criteria Yes, of course, there's physical consequences, and I think this is where we trip up with addiction. Sometimes we just give someone a detox. We just stick them in somewhere for a week and flush out their kidneys and the liver, or you know, well, your thinking doesn't come from those organs. The last time I checked, it's the six inches between your ears that's the issue. Mm-mm. But the repeated behaviour, whether it's running too much, disordered eating, ketamine, whatever, yeah, yeah, that will then have a detrimental physical effect. And I think first to one pick addiction is to recognize it's a mental health disorder that will bring physical detrimental consequences and we got to treat it that way around and when you look at addiction is my behavior negating normal balance in my life so let's take for example exercise addiction somebody that's now running but when i run am i running even though i've got an injury but i'm just going to ignore that you know the mm-hmm. physio said Your knee's on its way out, but I'm just going to ignore that. I'll take more painkillers, then we'll cross over into over-the-counter prescription drug addiction because you rarely get one with addiction.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Am I now stopping social engagements? Because if I haven't gone to the gym or done my running routine, I don't feel right. That obsessive behaviour. Am I messing up work? Am I missing uni? Mm. Am I swerving people? Because actually, if I haven't got my exercise in, I don't feel right, and I don't not do it. Is it occupying my mind more and more? Am I now looking up on the internet, best ways to run, best things to do, best things to wear, when I should be paying the bills, or yeah. going to see my mum, or doing yeah. some revision? So when you look at addiction, there's something called the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. I think we're still on version 5. I think we are. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> note to self, better update that.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: There's 11 criteria that we look at for addictive behaviours. And if you just take away the word opioid and put your behaviour in, whether that's exercise or digital on your phone or gaming, you tell me how many things you're ticking. And it is quite frightening that if you get to six or seven or more, we've definitely got an addiction problem. But what's interesting is at no point does it say how much or you're taking. It's always about the consequences. Mm. Are people challenging you? You know, you? you know, you go to the gym every day and you run every night and you get defensive and a bit aggy about it. Well, someone with a balanced approach to exercise wouldn't do that. You've got the worst flu in the world. You've got a stomach bug. You're feeling dreadful. You've got an injury, but I'm still going to do it. So there it is, in spite and despite the consequences. Are you pulling away from social, educational, work functions? You're spending more time doing your addictive behavioral choice than engaging, connecting with loved ones, families, friends. Are you making excuses for it? And here's the big one what you did in the beginning, is it no longer enough and you have to do more? And then yeah. do you feel imbalanced, desperate, or scared if you don't do it? And you can put any behavior or any substance in that. And the more you say yes, yeah, we're looking at a kind of a big addictive issue here.
1: Wow. I don't think I've ever heard it put that way with the the DSM, just taking away that one substance and then actually just put whatever it is for you. It's so wise what you're saying there, and I can really hear the the authenticity and breadth of experience from you there. And it's so valuable because I really find it's, you know, addiction is so often associated with denial, but almost the levels of denial. Oh, oh, okay. I'll break down this one, but not this one,
2: definitely
1: not that one. And it's so hard because one was aware of is those early years and depending what happened, you know, people's attachment styles, it could be they respond more to mm. one form of treatment, but because of how they are, they may not respond to another one or they may go along with it. You know, we talk about, you could even put something, We talk about something like codependency, I don't see dependency as a bad word, but similar to what you were saying, if we look at the continuum of life, what could be healthy dependency here on the complete other side of the more kind of addictive type, where mm. the behavioral part could be that codependency or loss of self. And it's really hard to find a balance because. I don't know what your thoughts are, but I remember a colleague once saying, when it comes to relationships, it's not about not holding a door open for somebody because <laughs> relationships are part of life, you know, because just going from one extreme to the other, but how to find balance in a way that is, I guess, allowing the person to have a sense of autonomy, because it may have been, they weren't allowed to have a sense of self, they were told they were wrong, they were told mm. they were bad, which can certainly drive a lot of addictive stuff. You know, how you know, how does that balance achieve? I guess I'm, I'm almost thinking journey, not destination type thing, but you know, what, what can be helpful for people in, in that space who maybe they've done a lot of work, perhaps they've put down their, their primary addiction, but there are these, you know, I think of the iceberg analogy, you know, that deeper part is scary and dark and I don't want to go there because I've <laughs> done, I've done enough. I've, yeah. I've done enough. I've, I've put down the drink. I'm I'm not, I'm not eating in a disordered way, but there are still issues in my relationships. I'm I'm not feeling okay within myself, but what do I do? I don't know how you've kind of, your experience with that is.
0: It, it's so valid because it's still that discontent with the relationship with yourself. So there's still an element of fear. Am I good enough? Am I lovable? Yeah. And it's fantastic when someone's done that amount of work. But mm. hey, let, let's just hone it even more. Let's keep that momentum mm. of repair and release going. And I think you said it, it. It's balance. Someone with an obsessive personality, addictive traits. The word balance is extremely unnatural for them. Yeah. And for other people say, "How do they have to really do that? How does that person put that knife and fork down and not clear their plate?" Yeah. You're like, "What's the matter with them?" And they yeah. think they're the one. They're the weirdos that can just leave it at one drink or, yeah, you know. They're a bit tired in the morning, so they're not going to get up at 5 a.m. no matter how well they are and go to the gym. And it's learning to nurture yourself because Mm. life is about balance, isn't it? It's, you know, I often use the example of, you know, when you're a kid and you get given that project at school, you get given your sunflower seed or your broad broad bean seed, yeah, yeah. Seed, isn't it, to grow, and it's so, it's so exciting. And you put it mm. on the paper, and the water in the jar, and you have got it in the right environment, and the sunshine, and you water it, and you watch it grow, and then this amazing sunflower or thing comes out, and everyone in the family has to admire it for ages because isn't it mm. wonderful? But the reason it's grown, it's grown slowly over time because you've mm. nurtured it, you've put it in the right environment. Yeah. You put that seed in really malnourished dirty grey soil and not a of sunshine and it might grow a little bit but it won't flourish mm-hmm. so when we are growing not just physically but mentally and emotionally if we're not putting ourselves in that right nurtured nourishing environment yes we're kind of spreading out all over the place but we're not flourishing but there's an extreme we can be in this arid terrible dark place yeah without the nurture and people with addiction and i think and you said it Growing up in places, and no, it's not all about childhood, although, you know, we can have the ghost of Freud flying around us, but and it doesn't always have to come from childhood. Yeah. There's environmental impacts. But with addiction, self, low self-esteem and shame becomes an internal driver, an internal belief system. With that comes negative self-talk. With that comes self-loathing. Will you try caring for something that you talk badly about? And you're, then, you're not just repeating the maladaptive, harmful, addictive behaviour, relationships, It's your relationship with yourself you're not getting the balance right. So I think when you talk about that codependency and why we then struggle with relationships, well, I think we have to take this to underneath the iceberg because I think that core underneath the iceberg is what is your relationship with yourself? You've done incredible work to stop some crazy behaviour, some self-harm behaviour, but is that negative self-talk there? Is that negative self-belief there? Are you still hanging on to a bit of shame, fear, that if actually, no, I don't get this right. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be rejected because I'm an addict. I'm going to be rejected because I'm not good enough being clean. So I right. often say to my clients, get yourself. You know, we talk about swear jars. Yeah, I've a swear jar, put a coin in it, need a chip and pin machine. It's click, 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 click. But actually, get a negative self-talk jar because I do yeah. find people who are going through that painful journey of addiction, It starts with negativity of self and and you said it earlier, whether that's external messages coming through, you're a failure, you're not good enough, you're you're ugly, you're a waste of time, I am, that you are becomes I am. Yeah. And you often hear people with that low Mm -hmm. self-esteem. How do they introduce themselves? They tell people, oh, I'm the useless one, I'm the rubbish one, oh, that would be me, I'm such an idiot apologies my fault my fault my fault yeah repetition builds belief systems so not only am i telling everyone else it's me i've convinced myself it's me by my language so that language underneath that core of the iceberg under the water i think that's a negative self-talk negative self-belief sitting there
1: absolutely and so much in what you said there, there was i was thinking of the you know the analogy of the for those that may not have heard it but the I think it was it Carl Rogers, you know, the, the, the famous therapist who the self actualization, the thing about the, the, the potato growing, you know, through it might be a little bit wonky and weavy, but actually, if this, it's going to find the sun if it's there. Whereas if it's only darkness, it's probably not going to grow. And I was thinking about that, you know, it might not be exactly how one thinks or the, the Disney script of recovery. It might be a little bit wonky, but actually. That's okay. But something as well around if the foundation is pure shame, it's so hard to do anything else. Mm. Of course, it's so hard. But I was also thinking about we touched on attachment and how with that fractured attachment, it's so it leads to confusion. So, yeah, there's this, there can be this shame around, and I'm kind of putting inverted commas around this badness, but also compassion is a really scary word too. So actually, it's a really trapped it. place, mm-hmm. and that real difficulty, and I don't know what your experience with this is, but that sense of compassion can actually be incredibly motivating. But yet, if all we know is shame, that's our only motivator because although it's not working, it's all we know, and it's so mm-hmm. hard to get out of so hard. It's like I mean, that feels like that deeper part, you know, really deep down, almost like the core part there and and as you said. It's so subjective. And I was just thinking about, you know, bio, psycho, social, you know, everything's important, right? And then you touched upon that, like with the DSM thing. It's like somebody who thinks, okay, addiction is you're addicted to a drug, you put it down, you're fine. Unfortunately, not, you know, the biology, what we've inherited, what we learned when we were younger. And also coming onto that social element, which seems really apt now, things like Very Instagrams. Incredible. Yeah, it, it kind of, It feels different in a way that word that's really stood out to me when every time I look at that biopsychosocial, the social just Mm. seems to leap out and think that's really important because okay, for some and for many, it is about not being seen, but with many things like perhaps it's, you know, body image or exercise, there's a real desire to be seen. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about that and how that impacts and, you know, what happened there?
0: interesting when I I, I started out as I said working in addiction nearly 20 years ago and phone addiction exercise addiction wasn't talked about we weren't trained in it it kind of didn't exist Mm -hmm. you know mobile phones digital detoxes didn't have to happen with with clients and in rehabs and stopping them doing exercises of a daily thing and I think but look we're evolving creatures aren't we so whatever comes into our into our arena will adapt and evolve in it. Mm. And exercise has become a very fashionable thing. It's not just about keeping fit now, it's about being seen, it's about mm. what you wear. That equals being loved, being accepted, being good enough, mm. you know, and there are some people real stigmas about recreational drugs and alcohol, but look at me down the gym. Yeah, but you're down the gym four hours a day. Yeah. I'm not doing that balanced stuff in life. and i i (laughs) i do go to the gym and what i've really seen over the last few years and i find this quite interesting is the amount of people that now take their phones into the gym and are doing selfies and taking pictures of themselves on each machine and it just breaks my heart because i think you're here to get fit or to feel good about yourself release those endorphins have a bit of a healthy dopamine flood feel good get in your lungs and you're yeah. future proofing your life you know we know lack of exercise has a long-term effect on our on our age and our mental health as we age mm. you ever recognize when that, that you're younger and that's natural but i find it really heartbreaking that i can sit yeah. and around the gym and think that your obsession here is to make sure you put that on your socials look at me down the gym and you're spending more time on that machine posing and to me that's it's nice to feel nice about yourself and want to look good but again it's balance for honest healthy healthy reasons not if i don't do this if i don't get enough likes and followers
2: yeah i'm
0: not good enough and there is the obsessional behavior and that shame is but i also watch other people checking other people out not in a kind of sleazy way you can see them thinking "Oh, you can see That's good i work with eating disorders as well and they think oh they look better than me and oh they're doing better than me and and it's just heartbreaking we've lost the real reason a bit like alcohol isn't it alcohol if you can have a balanced novel relationship with it it can taste nice and it's there to enhance something on an occasion but it's no longer used like that when we use it for self-medication whatever was meant for pleasure and joy has long gone and to see exercise go that way it's really heartbreaking because when you go into addictive behavior the one thing that's lost is the fun yeah there is no fun in it it becomes the chore it becomes again anxiety provoking i'm not working out enough i've not burnt enough calories mm-hmm. i'm not ripped enough you know with men it, it was flowered up as bigorexia it's recognized under eating disorders isn't it Bigorexia. here yeah. it doesn't come under substance use disorder not yeah. being big enough not being manly enough not being strong enough that will lead into addictions on the other side because of steroids and and totally disordered eating too much protein and all the problems that will cause Yeah, and it becomes this real mess that we talk about exercise addiction it will never stay at that it will go into body dysmorphia it will go into disordered eating it will go into other forms of self-harm people taking risks okay i'm going to get on a plane and go to a country where i can get steroids over the counter and yeah. risk bringing them back in well it, it never stays at one thing. And where exercise addiction looks, how many times do you hear people say, oh, we're addicted to exercise? Uh, no,
1: you don't. It's, it's a very so yeah
0: destructive. Well,
1: I, I really felt sadness for, I want to say like a generation, but, but, but just for those people who I imagine have probably been working really hard all day. And that nagging thing that for some might be a substance is like, I've got to get to the gym, even if maybe mm. there's a part of them and sometimes, you know, mental health, there's that notion of parts and, you know, there's a part of me that wants to go and there's a part that doesn't, but it can be quite apt because there is that inner conflict often. And it's that part that might just want to sit down and just chill out. I mean, I had someone on the the podcast, Nutritionist, and it really stayed with me, this notion of she was telling me about how she works with younger people. And when, when there's that kind of, oh, weekend was difficult. She was, what, what I made up from that was thinking, oh, they got, they hung over, they are hungover, And it's like, I've only been to the gym five times today. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hang, hang on, what? This is gone. But you're, what? <laughs> and it's confusing. And sometimes it's like, I feel confused even thinking about it. And if I'm, you know, I will self-disclose, I haven't been to the gym for, for many a year. So that sounded very hard. I was remembering, I don't remember that. Maybe it was maybe it was there in subtle ways, people kind of looking, but there was this now there's this device that is like, oh mm. this this allows me to to get that need immediately, even though it doesn't fulfill that deeper part. But it's so so sad and that hole in the
0: soul. It yeah, never the whole, does.
1: Hole in the self. And just thinking when you're talking about, you know, the 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 different almost branches of that destruct you know, there's that core. You know, thinking of like a tree, but you're saying the body dysmorphia, the 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 the, the self-harm having to go to any lengths to fill that void. Um there's,
0: that's addiction, isn't it? Going yeah. to any lengths. Because look look, I'm guilty of this. Look, look what I'm wearing. <laughs> One of these fitness trackers and that becomes part of the obsession. Have I done peak? Have I done enough cardio? Well, Have I, I walked enough?
1: Well like it, yeah it all
0: becomes consuming.
1: something that was coming up for me there where you were sharing it was just this sense of of mindfulness and just being so removed from the moment you spoke about enjoyment and it's it's that sense of what's driving this you know i I suddenly i had this thought and i hope it doesn't happen although who knows but this idea of people doing meditation and taking pictures of themselves and it being such an oxymoron of the idea but to clarify that idea of you know mindfulness is It's not about getting rid of difficult feelings. It's about sitting with, but through sitting Mm -hmm. with, there can be that sense of actually finding out what we are feeling. Because in a way, the opposite of mindfulness is Mm absent-mindedness and that sense of not recognizing what's going on in that moment, which could be, oh gosh, I, I really recognize I want to put this picture of myself on Instagram to get more likes. What might be more helpful for me in that moment? And if there isn't a known It's it's going to be that, but where, where would compassion fit into that? Where would, you know, what would be an alternative? We are human beings. We're all going to be on this continuum where, you know, there is no perfection. And I think, you know, I don't know if you found this, but for somebody who, you know, is in recovery from addiction, that almost black or white thing, it's not Mm. necessarily always the best. Perhaps would you say like, okay, go from this behavior to this behavior. It's not always. It, it might feel familiar, and I guess what I mean by that is, someone might do self development twenty four hours a day. And it's like, well, where are you, <laughs> actually? Whoa, let's bring it back to the middle. Hang and and what, what's your what, what's your is that is that something that has been important for you? You know, I guess you know, mindfulness can mean so much. But w- what part does that play for you? That idea of just welcoming and arriving where you are to facilitate the next step, as it were. Uh, but
0: that that's that that's the such a vital part of and you don't I don't think you have to struggle with an addiction problem to have this battle do you it's depression no. it's anxiety disordered eating it's that fearful of feeling and yet feelings are the things that help us connect and grow and process and some of our like we said fear isn't always a bad feeling yeah. grieving feeling upset unnatural feelings. You know, when you look at a tiny baby before it's got the ability of language and we haven't messed it up with all our issues and imprinted that kid with all our rubbish, it basically works on its primeval responses. Laughing, I'm hungry. Screaming, I'm scared. It lets those primeval emotions that we are born with and we need to function and connect with as a society I and mean, with ourselves. It just lets them out. And isn't it great? I mean, I'm not saying we need to throw ourselves on the floor and have the terrible two tantrum because I'm feeling bad. But... get educated and controlled to say these are all bad things if it's we're told from a young age a negative feeling is a bad thing there 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 don't cry shush be strong and don't don't show them your weakness and people get uncomfortable with feeling bad things because they think it's wrong but you said as well and i think especially when there's been abuse and trauma Mm -mm. you can't show those feelings because it could make the situation worse and we look at a lot of people and I think you have to really look at that when you look at someone who's been through something really abusive and traumatic that they had to shut down their feelings yeah. and actually say, wow, what an incredible thing your brain is that it learned a survival response at the time, a protective factor to get you mm. through that, that just primevally you just instinctually knew to not show those feelings was was my protective response to get, to get me to survive. The trouble is the brain learns that as a survival response and then goes, well, you know, this kept us alive, this kept us going. Why would I stop doing that?
2: Yeah.
0: And actually being mindful, well, yeah, that served you well back then and embrace that, but you're not in that fearful situation anymore. And that's where let's feel these feelings now and recognize you are safe to be angry or scared or tell somebody that something bad happened and share that and not hold those awful painful secrets to yourself it is safe for you to do that that knot in your stomach your heart racing is normal and to feel those feelings and what does emotion means it's e It's those feelings motion means it's Mm. moving they're transient and i think the fear is I'm going to get stuck with these bad feelings so I either do everything to block them out and ignore them la, 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 la. and that's drink drugs exercise food sex porn whatever yeah but they're still there underneath the water at the bottom of the iceberg as opposed to okay why am I still fearful today why am I terrified that if if I think somebody doesn't like me my life is over it there's so much to unpick there the thing with addiction it's it's never straightforward but To sit with those emotions builds confidence, builds trust, actually. I can cry and say I'm angry, and I can say no to somebody and put the boundary in, and -hmm. it's all right. And I always say to people, when you are self-harming on difficult emotions, whether that's addictive behaviours, whether that's with food, whether that's what we 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 often think of self-harming as people just cutting themselves and pulling their hair up, but addiction is a huge part of self-harm. You are doing something detrimental to your body in order to block change or find a feeling or have a sense of control or not control. It's not emotions that will kill you; it's what you do with them that just might.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. It's where you go that those fur and and something around. You know, you are not your thought, or we're not responsible for what the tricky brains does, but in a way, we're responsible for what we do with them. Do with it. Perhaps mm. yes. that's the bit. I guess that's yeah. where the more mindful awareness comes in. We can't preempt what our complex brains are going to throw at us, but something around what are we going to do with that? You know, is that helpful or is that harmful?
0: How um, does this serve me? Mindfulness is being in the moment, and what's my next right step, or what's yeah. my next wrong step? And actually, let's just play that forward. How is that going to serve me? Once upon a time, maybe it served me well as a protective factor, as a survival response, even as a shield to block everyone away.
1: And I think that's where, in a way, maybe, you know, going back to that shadow side or just freedom in whatever comes up or no rule book in that people may sometimes think they have to get rid of and we don't have to get rid of it because actually if we become, if we come face to face with a, with a bear, it probably won't serve us that well to have a mindful sit we've got it's there for a reason, and as you say it's an amazing thing, but in a way, going back to your your comment on neuroplasticity i I've often seen you know relational trauma, it's all these little misses or little bits we didn't get, and they form this big this massive kind of thing that is all you know maybe that's the kind of part under the iceberg or whatever it is. but in a way. Those bits of mindfulness, those putting in, you know, that's hopefully changing that neuroplasticity, right? It's putting in that which we didn't have. It's an alternate response, but it is going to feel scary and it is going to feel different. And that was so hardwired. And Mm. whether one believes in intergenerational trauma or whatever it is, it's if something hasn't been broken in a family lineage, it's probably a pretty strong gene, right? (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: You're working with quite a lot. You got to, yeah, you're working with a lot. You're kind of, what was it? I think it was just looking on my bookshelf. I think it was in, in a John Bradshaw book or something. It was saying, you know, that thought you might be having, it could be sort of great, great, great uncle Jim coming into play. And I always thought, oh, that's quite interesting. You know, it is you, yeah. but also there are these there's things blueprint. that have been passed down, the blueprint, and of course those, those value judgments of which there's probably not that many in life, but we learn there are. Almost like with shame, it's like everything is a value judgment. Everything becomes a right or wrong. Whereas actually, there's probably quite a lot of freedom in life. But freedom is scary because freedom involves making a decision that could be deemed as wrong or bad, and we might be punished because we might have been in the past. So it's a pretty it's a pretty tricky one. Um, I wanted to ask what your experience you know what, what's your experience been with with addiction you know for you what does what does addiction mean for you
0: a very big question i think addiction means that there's pain as much as there is hope which sounds a bit of a cheesy thing to say but actually there there is because addiction. i wouldn't wish addiction on anybody because i think it's very uh, as much as we said at the beginning uh, uh, people are much more enlightened about it much more understanding i still think there is a huge way to go and actually saying people, no, this isn't somebody who's just overindulgent and does it for the fun because it does present as highly selfish and highly destructible. And there is no logic to it. Look what you've got to live for why are you doing it? Well, if it was all about logic, this this issue wouldn't exist. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And the pain and the destruction that builds to the greater society, as much as with an individual family or social units, but importantly to the self, to that person, suffering with it in this dark, lonely world, but they're fighting the logic, yeah, why do I do this? I don't understand. But as you said, whether, you know, there's genetic dispos- dispositions, influences, and some drugs, somebody might not come from a traumatic or something terrible, you know, the gay bon matto stuff, it, it, you know, it's trauma. Well, actually, some drugs literally rewire the brain, that physical dependency kicks in really quickly. It's brain altering behaviors yeah. and substances, like exercise addiction, body now wants to do more dopamine flooding and more and more and more. And it's like a heat seeking missile. Let's keep doing it. Mm. So whatever pathway you've ended up with this addiction problem, as you said, those thoughts are there, but you can learn to do something with it. You can learn to go, okay, I keep doing this. It's the repetition. It's insanity, isn't it? Keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. When you're in it, you don't know you have a choice. As soon as you start getting honest, yeah. Yes, it is causing imbalance. It's causing upset. Yes, I do get defensive. Yes, I am now secretive about it. You were used the word denial earlier. Well, a lot of denial isn't just saying no, I don't do it. A lot, of, you're swaying like a tree in the wind, and your pupils are completely dilated, and you're going, no, I haven't taken anything, like, really, you know. But. Denial is also the minimization of what you're doing and the keeping it secret because you're then kidding yourself as much as you think you're fooling others. And for a while, you do get away with that stuff. But when you actually start to recognize the imbalance and that you're not on your own with this, there comes the hope. Because Mm. although those choices aren't easy, like facing your fears, facing your insecurities, getting rid of old drivers from the past, and that is it's a painful journey. Mm. But ironically, we're talking about exercise addiction, you get through run-a-stitch and it gets better
2: Yeah,
0: and that you, you know, you don't have to be frightened of feeling those difficult things. There is so much, what I love about working in addiction is the hope, the inspiration Mm
2: -mm. that
0: you get a better way of living and the ripple effects of just encouraging and supporting other people. We mentioned earlier, you know, self-actualization. Hmm. Is maslow's hierarchy of needs but have i got all that stuff in place my my am i honestly meeting my physical needs right am i meeting my personal security needs and that even means am i hanging around the right or wrong people yeah coming
1: back to that sense of self right and yeah i was thinking of the the hierarchy of needs and almost how it can be a kind of reverse triangle sometimes or it can be flipped with things like addiction we can tell ourselves oh no this is what i need but actually. Coming back to that sense, if if shame, low self-esteem, low self-worth, all that stuff is at the core, if that's what we're coming back to, that's probably what our interactions are going to be defined by in some ways. And actually, you know, dependence doesn't have to be a bad word. Someone who may have struggled chronically with people pleasing, you know, it's important to have boundaries, but we are relational beings, but there's a sense of needing to check in with self perhaps before going outwards. Is this the best thing for me? Oh, as you say, I've got a stitch. Can I work through this? Yeah. Or if not, what do I need so that I can get, you know, into the next mile? And I guess that's coming back to the more mindful awareness, however one views it, whether it's specific mindfulness practice or just thinking of I quite like the the threats, you know, the emotional regulation systems and a sense of, you know, drive is a big one. And that can sometimes be associated with addiction, but sometimes it can just be that if I keep going, I'm going to reach the actualization, but actually it's it's not. It's this, Sometimes it can take bringing it back to get into the soothing system to then respond to that need better in a way. The irony that doesn't make sense thinking well, if I keep going or if I'm doing a marathon of which I've never done, so it might not be the greatest example, but like, okay, it's lap 10, I'm struggling. What do I need to get or to that is- next space rather than just absent-mindedly going on because that could I might get to the finish line but I might discover I've got a broken leg at the end of it which what impacts but, that gonna have and all that kind of stuff it's it's that what taking I back need? yeah responding yeah. not reacting comes to mind I guess
0: yeah not what do I want and if I don't get it I'm a failure actually what do I need but there's the power in saying do you know what I couldn't do it it's okay
1: yeah something quite quite humbling and I can hear the passion about your work as you speak and something, Thank you know, you. I, I do want to really ask you what, what drew you to the, to the field of addiction of, of psychotherapy, you know, tell me about your, I realize we've kind of gone, you know, I've allowed it not to be perfect. Shall I say that's right. the theme. That's the theme. It <laughs> doesn't have to be an order, but I I really did, you know, it's something I was thinking about before I chat was I'm always interested in what draws people, you know, their their own stories, because it, the person is bringing themselves and I think that's that's the greatest gift in many ways in therapy or in any relationship but you know tell me a bit about your journey into this work and what brought you here.
0: Thank you, well when I started my basic counseling skills course of of a night school and of an evening I was the only one in my class that didn't want to be a therapist. Okay. I was working in the corporate world. I was actually working with luxury brands in the city, traveling all over the UK. My career was going really well, and I had a team of about 60 to 70 people, and I started to realize that my job was more about people, well, just as much as about getting results and hitting targets. But mm-hmm. when you're managing such a vast amount of people and, uh, and in sales, you you want to support them and get the best out of them i started to realize i need to learn to communicate more i need to understand people's needs Mm. more i've still got to be firm and boundary to be the boss but if i don't have that ability to listen and relate then why would people want to work hard for me so i actually did my basic Mm. counseling skills to be a better boss in the corporate world and i also started to see well yeah i had a couple of members of staff I had bipolar, somebody else had trauma, and I thought, I don't I don't know enough about this. I want to get the best for my team. And mm-hmm. then a year in and I was the training, I was hooked. Second year I still said to my tutor, no, 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 I'd just like to do this, maybe on a volunteer level. And mm-hmm. and then the one world I said I would never work in was addiction.
1: <laughs> okay. What was that? What do you remember that being about? <laughs>
0: Personal experience, stuff that goes, you know, we're humans. I think people forget as therapists, we've got our own lives and our own experiences. And it was a very, on a personal level, it was a very traumatic place for me to look into. Mm. When everyone went round the room and said what areas they wouldn't work in, I'm absolutely not addiction. The selfishness, the trauma, the harm, the insanity, no. And I remember my tutor, lovely guy at the time, smiling at me and saying, we'll see. And when I got my first job working in a rehab with the Priory, he was the first person when I posted it on my social media went, told you.
1: (laughs) Like he could see it, but he was like, I'll just let you go down that. Because it is
0: that working in that area because of everything that it causes. But I have to say, it's the most privileged and incredible arena to work in Mm. because it brings, I think I've seen every social group, every demographic, every life experience and the excitement of addiction is the science the research what we know is happening to the brain we now know hormone imbalances Mm -mm. what's happening to the brain and development how certain behaviors literally change the brain Mm -mm. but what i love about it is the courage that i see in people and look we know the opposite to addiction is connection and i'll just give you a brief example of so yes i gave up the corporate world in the end and got and I've never looked back. Uh, and you know, my corporate experience has helped me build a, a a really good private practice. And I do supervision and training, and I'm really grateful for that. And yeah. you transfer all those skill sets. And um, and I still work in a rehab with an amazing group of people. Mm. Um, but just as an aside, as you know, I was in Zanzibar earlier this year for a couple yeah. of months doing some work. Yeah. And just chatting. What do you do? I'm an addiction specialist. <laughs> Can you come and talk to these people, please? And Wow. Within a week, I've met a load of 12-step recovery workers that you just want to meet other people that work in the fields. Wow. I messaged my lovely team back at the rehab and said, look, just met these great guys, peer-led, peer-led 12-step recovery workers, really struggling, no resources, no funding. Within a week, I hadn't even asked my lovely lot over here. I've got this massive package oh. of literature, of support work, of banners, oh. all together, do we going to send it over? Who do we send it over to? And you don't, it's just to go anywhere in the world and say you yeah. work an addiction, you suddenly find connections, fellowship, people that get it, you're all speaking the same language.
2: Yeah, it's incredible. It's
0: such a privilege. It's such a joy and it's ever evolving. Like as we said, digital addiction, exercise addiction, never used to be there. Mm. Each generation has a stronger influence on a drug of choice, I think. Um, And that amazing age. Yeah, yeah, it was alcohol and cocaine. Now it's more exercise, digital addiction and sex and porn.
1: So it's really incredible listening to that. And I really felt that sense of just, wow, you know, whilst so much wounding can happen in relationship, it can be so healing as well. And often those who have been so wounded, you know, having the chance to actually just connect like that, it's, it's, it's incredible. You know, we, we have such capacity as human beings and mm. moving towards that place of compassion and connection and just open arms. You're OK as you are, as am I. It's an amazing thing. And even, you know, from from Essex to Zanzibar, it's pretty incredible. Funny. It
0: is absolutely stunning. Uh, yeah. And to have that stuff for free is, is incredible, but I think it's just knowing you, you know, we talk about the war on drugs, but we should actually just be talking about the global unity on recovery. We're all, in, we're all trying to fight something. We're never yeah. going to stop. You no. know, it's a multi-billion pound organisation. Of course it is, whether it's legitimate or illegal. Yeah. But actually what we should be putting the energy to is supporting each other, connecting recovery, self-esteem, and actually allowing ourselves to be humans the emotions are there for a reason if they weren't evolution would have knocked it out of this years ago
1: yeah really fascinating well it's been so amazing talking to you today really grateful for your for your time and insight and wisdom and and compassion that you've bestowed upon this podcast
0: oh thank you it's been lovely lovely to meet you at last thank yeah, you and thank you, you for asking me
1: Oh, it's been great. Uh, before I let you go, I was wondering if I could invite you to do some word association. It's something I do with all my guests. And it started as a kind of idea and it just ended up being something that is a really great insight into each individual person. Does that feel okay?
0: That's fine. I will just make make sure my
1: clinical supervisor doesn't listen to it. <laughs> okay, what cool. Comes out. <laughs> I'll, I'll put a side note in for that person. Okay. So I'll just say some words and first word that comes up let's see let's let's see where this goes okay here we go dreams sleep family connection water life tree
0: beauty
2: anxiety
0: normal compassion not
2: enough
1: how did you find that
0: Really, really good words. Really interesting words. And I think maybe on different days, if you ask me those questions, I might have a different response. It's, it's... emotions. It changes. It's transient. Yeah, I,
1: I can remember you talking about studies, and I was thinking some of these things that felt very like nineteen twenties. And I was thinking, what? How does that? How does that apply here? But in a way, I just tried it as an idea, but i felt like i've connected with so many people through this podcast just through those words because the fact that it's just amazing what our minds all have and the meaning that we give to different things what we see through our eyes and what we internalize that and what we give meaning to yeah
0: well
1: thank you i've really enjoyed this oh well i hope
0: to
1: hope to see you again soon
0: yes definitely if i I, wherever i am in the world but no thank you and Just the fact that you're doing this and opening up the conversations and what's really lovely about your podcast is you you keep it natural, you keep it real. And I think that's the point. This doesn't have to be clinical stuff. When we talk about therapy, Mm -hmm. it's not clinical, it's free flowing. It's let's let's trust that inner voice and let's see where it goes and that creative part of ourselves not letting anyone contain themselves that that's what's been lovely about this this podcast with you let's just see where it goes we had a format in mind
2: yeah but
0: i think that really helps people if they want if they're worried about going to therapy. this kind of that experience of just trust what's in there to come out and it's meant to come out and you're meant to look at it so yeah. thank you for that it's
1: brilliant well thank you for for your words there it's i'm aware we could keep going and We've sort of ended it twice and we're still going, but that's the joy of it. There's a, speaking to someone who kind of made me think about the fact that it's both scary, but incredibly freeing, this notion that, you know, when you come into therapy, as far as I know, you know, maybe there are some people where they have one, but there isn't an MRI machine. It doesn't tell you that's the issue. That's fractured. Let's get to it. It's in a way like, here's the torch. Is any of this... Does any of this resonate? What's that? And it's, but that that fact that there isn't a prescriptive method, it it can be really freeing, you know, in a way, just being in relationship, being in contact with another person, and just going where it needs to go. And I I think you know your words are so wise there, and certainly you know going where you need to go and actually just just allowing yourself to go, it can be an incredibly amazing experience. And I can hear how important that's been for you, and and how passionate you are about your work. So. I can hear that's you know so important and, and so inspiring
0: thank you thank you good to see you
1: you too thanks D. so that was my conversation with D Johnson thank you once again D, for coming on and speaking with me it was so great as I said at the start you can find more about D via her Instagram page Mind Soup Therapy. I'll include the handle in the episode description below. I hope it helped clear up any myths or misunderstandings that you may have had about addiction and that it might be useful for someone in your life who may be struggling with addiction or struggling to understand what addiction is and what it isn't. You'll have heard Dee mention 12-step recovery. Um, It was something we were talking about in our conversation. If you haven't come across 12-step recovery, it can be really helpful when it comes to recovery from addiction. There's an abundance of fellowships that cover many of the addictions we spoke about, and there's way more that we didn't. Uh, We didn't have time to go into them all today. Um, If you're interested, there's a load of stuff online. And yeah, I hope that's helpful. The Journey Home was brought to you in conjunction with Portobello Behavioral Health. Music and production by Matthew Starrett. Edited by Tom Worrell.
0: You've been listening to the Journey Home podcast.